Okay, so welcome to a special episode of Lunchbox Radio, because I am here with my actual flesh and blood blood cousin, Danny Cohan. Hi! <laughs> uh, and today, we aren't at, as is usual when I have Danny on, because I have not figured out the exact right thing to recommend to him for anime, but... One day, I promise. And to Danny, that's probably a threat. <laughs> no, um, it's, it, you know, I'm not that intimidated by anime. I like some anime, but I am I am a little bit of a snob because it's not my main my main thing that I enjoy. So, yeah, you so know, one, one I, I reserve the right to be a snob. And I'll go through my mental Rolodex and figure out, like, okay, what can I, like, tell Danny to watch that he won't, like hate me the way he hated me last time we did this when we watched the live-action Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but I will say, I am fascinated by uh, Japan as a cultural idea, and I think today's subject also appeals to me because it has uh, outdated technology and um, people that live on the fringes of society. Yeah, I, I watched this, and like on the third, like for like a week, I was like, Maybe Danny would like, I'm like, damn it, let me just text him and be like, do you want to do this weird thing? I I was actually already planning on watching this series, so this was just a good excuse to get started with the first four episodes. I'm definitely going to go back and uh, and finish it off on my own time. Um, and I think we may be uh, talking about that too in the future. I don't know yeah, if you still want to I would love to have you to have another episode for the second four, but I thought like, so... Does it in the four that you watched? Is there like a time jump? Yeah, so there is. Okay, so so he goes to prison in this in like yeah four. That's okay, like end of end of episode two, and then beginning of episode three is him getting out, and then they've kind of made the transition from the uh, the magazines. The uh, I'm looking. I have I have some notes open. Um, so before we get into this, we haven't even. Yeah, we haven't even even said what the subject is. Let's get into that before we get into anything else. We're watching what we're talking about today, and a big content warning for this because it is about the 1980s Japanese porn industry. We're watching a Netflix original that I think is a Japan a Netflix Japanese original actually that they like. Yes, it is. Content shifted uh, to America called the Naked Director. No, actually, uh, what's interesting about this production, as always, you know, industry insider, uh, like little background on my experience. Uh, I worked uh, for the last seven years before this past year in the film industry. Um, I just recently accepted a position in uh, the Teamsters Union, uh, Local 810. Shout out to my local union. Nice. Um, Yeah. So like that's uh, that's what I've been doing this year. But up until then, I have been kind of an industry insider in and of that. I was a PA. I've worked on a bunch of different projects. Um, not a lot that people will have heard of, um, but some stuff that people have seen in terms of like ads and stuff like that. Um, anyway, so I looked into the production. This is entirely a Netflix joint. Um, so there is no uh, real Japanese media entity as far really? as I can tell, that's involved with it. They won't get involved with it. Oh um, yeah, Duh. the director. Um, <clears throat> the director said basically. Let me see. I have an article open about it from Japan Times. 
That's nice. see, this is this is my level of prep work. This is what this I bring why, to the show. This is why I'm like, I'm gonna give Danny something he can like dig into. <laughs> Absolutely, this is meaty. I got some stuff here. Let me see. Uh, yeah. Uh, for Japan, that era was a crazy time, but it was also an interesting time, a powerful time. I wanted to do a story set in the '80s, but I never thought it would be a story about Muranishi, who this is a you know the the naked director. Yeah. Um, Muranishi was a, a controversial adult filmmaker. Um, basically, uh, where did he say? Let me just look up real quick. Um, so, just while you're looking it up, how much knowledge did you have of, like, Japanese porn law previously? So I have a I have a passing knowledge of it just because I'm uh, generally interested in the sex industry, um, not like as a participant, but as a uh, casual observer, a sociologist. You know, I no, it's like weirdly fascinating. I agree. <laughs> no, absolutely, and I think you know, porn is a big part of that, and especially uh, porn's position in Japan um, and its cultural views. Uh, I, I can't find what I was looking for. Basically, uh, oh, here we go, actually. Um, so he's famous, the director's originally famous for a boxing movie that we may want to check out at some point called 100 Yen Love, which sounds like cool from the title alone. But it would be hard to do this for Japanese television, he tells me in a Tokyo hotel room. For one thing, the nudity would be a no-go, which we're oh. about to do. So, um... yeah. Without Maybe. Netflix, this project would have never happened. So yeah. basically, because it's a Netflix project, they could work in Japan on Netflix's dime. You know, nobody gives a shit if you're using sets, obviously, because porn gets made in Japan still to this day. Yeah, it does. In a big way. Um, but yeah, uh, do you want to get a little bit into uh, porn and its like position in Japanese society or what our like base knowledge level of it is? So... And I think I've probably, like, thrown this book at you to read a bunch of times. There's a book called Tokyo Vice. I actually have read this book. You, you have read Tokyo yeah. Vice? I have read I Tokyo Vice. I mean, I, I'm not yeah. surprised. You, on some level, you've read every book, I'm sure. But um, A lot. A lot. That's for sure. You, I, I mean, you, you were the kind of kid who could read in the car. I remember, like, staring at you when I was a kid. Like, I would just puke on the book. Yeah. Um, no, it's a talent. But, um... So basically, Tokyo Vice is uh, actually one of my favorite books I've read, but it is about the first foreign Japanese, the first foreign-born Japanese, like, police reporter in Japan, and as far as I know, really the only one, and a guy named Jake Adelstein, he ended up writing the book as a kind of insurance policy on his own life, because he pissed off a lot of y Yakuza, by reporting on human trafficking in, like, the 95 era of, like, Japan underworldness. But super early on in the book, just as, like, a passing conversation, they talk about um, censorship and, what and like, because if, if anybody here knows anything about Japanese porn, you know that it's all censored. And in America, obviously, porn isn't censored, but the Japanese, like, decency laws demand a certain amount of censorship, and in that scene, all these other, all these reporters were asking Jake, like, next time he goes back to America, if he could bring back uncensored porn, and his detective friend is like, 
dude, don't do it. I won't arrest you because I don't give a shit, but my entire department will haul you out of your apartment. Yeah. And so that's, and that's pretty standard, well-known fact about porn. But, and I don't know how, do you know how, like, fact-based this show is? So, um, yeah, they get into that a little bit in this Japan Times article that I found, which um, I might as well source it, you know, just to be, you know, a, a follow due diligence. This is actually, I don't know if you're aware, this is like kind of a controversy in podcasting. People want more sourcing. So uh, shout out to Mark Schilling. That's Schilling, S-C-H-I-L-L-I-N-G, uh, contributing writer to Japan Times TV section. Uh, if yeah. you want to check out the article, it, just Google the Naked Director of Japan Times. I'm sure that's yeah, that's yeah, the easiest I'm, way I'm to... I'm sure it's not super difficult to find. No, no, not at all. But just to be upfront with everybody, I'm I'm going a lot from this article, uh, which I read before today, but, you know, I'm going back to it to, to reference stuff. But anyway, um, it is partially based on facts, but some of the events are kind of uh, spiced up for dramatization. Yeah. So, you know, it's a loose based on real events, you know, which is fine. I think that's fine. You know, it's they're trying to tell an entertaining story and they're trying to also get across um, not just like the personal events of these people's lives directly, but how they like play into a larger story. So sometimes you have to just kind of flub a little bit to yeah, really get it. They're- they're really like you're not making a documentary they end up dealing with um a lot of like how japanese porn became to be as like notorious as it is <laughs> because yeah, just, I... because if anybody does not watch porn um japanese porn is known for being deeply eccentric and deeply pandering to like whatever they're, fetishes they're not are out afraid there. of niche. It's just so actually, I want to get into something real quick, which explains like a lot of like what we're kind of like dancing around a little bit. So there's a specific law in the Criminal Code of Japan called Article One Seventy Five. Okay. Um, and basically, it was uh, the original document was made in like 1907. So like early on in Japan's period of modernization. Yep. Um, when they're starting to gear up for like Western style industrialization, I think that's that's probably right in the middle of the Russo-Japanese War. So they have a fully Westernized military and government yep. and stuff like that. They have a parliament, but like what, like, the monarchy like, like after the military, yeah. For, for for those of you listening who are like real anime heads, think like after the events of like Saber Roni Kenshin when all of the parliament is, like, in place and no longer regularly facing threats on their lives. Damn, I'm not uh, an anime fan, but I can tell that that reference was fire. No, like, I can it, just it, tell. <laughs> the heads are going wild right if, now. If there was not, like, a child porn association with Kenshin, I might have thought, like, hey, maybe Dan should watch this because it's super steeped in history, but it's also still exciting. Oh, but, you know, yeah. the, um, all, the world-famous author of Rooney Kenshin was caught with child porn in, like, 2017. yikes Rooney. Anywho. Um, but anyway, so the law specifically said that showing pubic hair and adult genitalia are considered obscene. So okay. that is... So in America, obscenity laws are vastly different uh, due to a number of Supreme Court cases 
Um, now this is something else that I can touch on real quick because I'm a politics nerd. But um, you know, Larry, <laughs> shout out to Larry Flint. If you guys want to see a big story of why we are able to have uncensored adult entertainment here in these United States of America, you should check out the People versus Larry Flint. Um, great, great movie. I thought I thought of that movie like the entire time, time I'm watching this the show. Basically the, the show is like the Japanese people versus Larry Flint. There are a lot of parallels because a lot of this is about um, censorship and what that means to different uh, civilizations. And I think that this actually um, <clears throat> is a great distillation of, um, you know, a force inside of Japan that from an outsider's perspective can lead to a lot of like weird mythologization of the differentness and otherness of Japan, you know? Yeah. I think that's totally. something that we really fetishize here in the West, which like, you know, for good or for ill, you know, I think it deserves to be talked about that like, you know, these are all human beings. Um, and I think that that was something that this handled in a really beautiful way with uh, what I saw in the first four episodes and, you know, some of the real fallout that happened to some of these actresses when their activities were associated with their given names and stuff. You know, you yeah. saw it was particularly particularly devastating for the first woman to have live sex on camera, albeit censored still. Like yeah. when they dropped her real name at the end of the I think it's the third or the fourth episode that that happens where they drop her name. She's like heartbroken, you know, and she was all for it day of, you know, and it's I think that was really uh well really so this touching is, kinda. This is what I find Th this was one of the few times in which um I, what what's the director's name? Nishimura? Yeah, let me look up this uh, this cat's name real quick. Um, um I, I'm I'm gonna say his name was Nishimura. That sounds right in my brain. But Yes, yeah, so not. it's so it's originally based on Nobuhiro Motohashi's reportage. That's the that's the original author of the source material. Yeah. Um, and let me see, director. No, no, the um, the the direct the name of oh, uh, the main the, character, the naked director Muranishi. Yeah, Muranishi. Muranishi. So, like one of the only times I ever felt off about. Moranishi as like a character because it so well I don't think so, he's an entirely innocent character I, 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 think I and, and that and that was was when that actress ha is the first to have set live live action real sex on screen like, yeah because I, I, you should explain up until that like, point they're like taping up their genitals and stuff yeah and, and he very he's very clearly like convincing her to do it for like a solid 20 minutes and it's just like ugh, ugh, yeah ugh. there's there's a strong element of pressure because he feels that the only way to get ahead is to push the envelope in terms of sexual contact and there so there is an element of coercion there and i think this is like important like especially like because this show is a lot of time about anime and this is live action I think it's important to always remember, no matter what you're watching, that protagonist doesn't mean hero. Yeah, Just totally. the person we're focusing on. I, I, I mean, like, I, um, I will totally say some of my favorite shows have some real 
dirtbag protagonist. Um, that well, when we're and also when we're talking about you know my interest in marginal people, you know, marginal people a lot of times make decisions based on societal pressure that are not inherently moral decisions. They make them based on their situation, their circumstance, and that's what happened there. So it's actually, gross, before but, we get too deep into this. I want to focus on, for a brief second, the, like, actual opening to each episode that, like, Mom yeah. had to do. Yeah, let's get a little bit more on track with the order. It's, it's, so, like, the, like, the openings, even if this was done on Netflix at the time, they clearly had a budget, which I find very interesting, because I didn't know it was done solely on Netflix at the time. Yeah. Um, but the opening is this, like, awesome distillation of the conversion from analog to digital in like the porn industry specifically because it goes through um what's the name what's the name of the it's the vhs and betamax wars or what's touched on really in these first opening episodes but um it, it where it really no, starts. I'm not even, I'm not even a, talking about the opening episodes. I'm talking about like the opening sequence to each episode. Like where, oh yeah, where everything's like everything breaks off into pixels really slowly. Yeah, I forget the name of the neighborhood that it's in, but it's in it's in a neighborhood that has basically since it was um it's in Kabukicho, I think, and that name. If you don't know anything about Tokyo. That neighborhood is long known for, like, being one of the seediest and most, like, you want to... Let, let me put it this way. If you want to go and have and have dinner where the waitresses... Where none of the waitresses wear tops, you go down yeah, to Kabukicho and you, like, yeah. get it done. <laughs> if you want to go to Juders, that's Japanese yeah. Hooters. Yeah. Yeah, Juders. But, but like... and. Speaking of By the way, TM, been... TM, that's registered trademark, Dan Cohan original idea, Tudors. Anyway. <laughs> but being somebody who had been in the Hooters, I almost think that, like, if they weren't wearing tops, it would feel less weird. <laughs> I Now I want to just look up real quick, is there Hooters Japan? Oh, I'm sure there is. And I'm There's sure got to be at least one. By the... Oh, no! What's wrong? Hot off the wire. March 28th, 2019, Hooters goes bust in Japan. Really? Yes, <laughs> in so many funny. ways. Well, well, well you, you know why. Because, like, from the, like if you're going to go hang out with, gir- with, like, scantily clad girls in, in, in like... You could just go an, to a top bar. In Japan, that's, like, the most tame. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 like, that is family-friendly. <laughs> Well, Hooters is a family-friendly restaurant, or at least they claim to be. At least they claim to be. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but that was a fun diversion. But um, <laughs> so it's in Kabukicho, which is is a known seedy neighborhood it's since its establishment as an area. Yeah, and it like just that moment, that that opening once you after you've seen the whole show, or even after you've seen the first four episodes, you know, kind of what the show's dealing with, dealing with the conversion from analog to digital porn, and, like, how that, and how the, like, okay window moves along that spectrum, too, which I did find it, 
I find it a uniquely beautiful opening to a show, actually. Yeah, I, I really love the uh, the editing of the intro. Um, you know, I obviously didn't get the uh, the deep cut, you know, significance of its setting or whatever. I just assumed it was the setting of the show. Um, it took me like but, three times of seeing it to be like, oh, that's what that is. That no, makes so much sense. It, knowing that now, it's a very subtle touch. I like it a lot. Um, so just going into the plot of the first episode, uh, when we first meet our hero, it's actually, it's a pretty interesting pilot episode. Like if you look at it um, from a traditional TV episode, because yeah. the characters are kind of introduced, but it's not really in a setting that we're going to really be dealing with them a whole lot. And then the very end of the episode kind of puts them in the position of where the plot is going to end up uh, ultimately. Yeah. So, um, Muranishi, the, uh, the director, uh, it starts off with him as a, some kind of like a, a door-to-door encyclopedia. That's exactly Or what textbook he is. salesman. And, um, so. Something like learn to speak English textbook, maybe? No, is what it, it is. it's, it's literally, so. It's like, door -door it's like. Door-to-door sales, the way that, yeah. like, Girl Scouts are the only people who do now, but used to be, like, vacuum cleaner sales. In like yeah. the fifties, it's still a thing that occasionally happens in Japan. Yeah. So like, teenagers are hired to go door to door and sell newspaper subscriptions. Now, well, it's, I I get it. It's very urban, yeah. dense. You can hit a lot of doors at once, no matter where you go. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah totally. Um. But uh. So he's kind of a sad sack when we meet him. He sucks at his job. His manager's like, "Your dad didn't raise you right." You're, a ch and it does it does show he had a pretty tragic upbringing. A lot of uh, early uh, or just post World War II um, alcoholism, you know, obviously depressed veteran father who should have died at the front, according to his mom. That was sad. Yeah, that, um, that was like, that was like, oh, so this character is just always going to be fucked. Like, there's like, no way yeah, out of yeah. that. There's just like a lot of sexual abuse in the home towards the mom, I yeah. should be clear. Um, but yeah, anyway, so uh, that that's all revealed in flashback. But yeah, yeah, that results in a uh, kind of a sad sack. And what's doubly sad about this is if you know about Japan's history in the 80s, uh, this is a boom period. So yeah. I'm sure like all around him, other people are reaping the benefits of the, uh, you know, the electronics industry and stuff like that booming around him. Um, and he gets taken under the wing by a guy who, in the middle of the episode, is revealed to be a con man who's only really trying to go do a good job at sales so that he can take the proceeds of the sales. I don't think that's how it started. I think the way it starts is, like, because... It's, so... No, I think I think he's looking for a guy to, to drive the sales up with him so he can walk away with the haul from the beginning. I, that, that could be, but just hear me out. <laughs> In Japanese um, corporate culture, there's a lot of, like, association with honor and a lot of association with these are the people below you and these are the people above you. You never – you try and never unwillingly move in that ladder. You either get permission – someone gives gets asked for your permission below or you get permission from above, but you never you never just climb the ladder the way you would in, like, say, America. Yeah. So – my read on it was, like, after he started, like, topping every record and they had to start adding paper to the prop for the, his profit, like, graph. Yeah. The guy got so 
like demoralized that he's like, well, I'll just fucking take it all. And I, I, I like that's what I read happening. But no, I, I well, so I, the way that I read it was was that uh, he was looking for a lackey to help him drive up the sales because, like, you know, two is better than one. Even if the guy starts out sucking, I can at least teach him to be better. And yeah. um, then I don't have to feel guilty because I've given him the skill of the gift of gab, which I does guess. end up serving the character later. But I, I just had assumed that, like, you know, um, basically when the guy took the money, that had been his intention from the jump. Like, he's like, I'm going to take this shitty encyclopedia money and just run with it. That makes sense. That makes total sense. Um, anyway, so, um, but, you know, it's it's unclear the guy's intentions because either way, he just leaves a fucking cryptic note in the safe that's, you know, a reference to, I think, whatever folk song he had the guy yeah, sing. Yeah, whatever the folk song yeah. he, teaches, he teaches them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that he has him sing to prove that he's, you know, real Japanese, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway... So, uh, basically, uh, when that, uh, bankruptcy of his employer occurs, the guy is really just, his identity is kind of already unmoored, obviously, because he was expecting to, like, now come home as a big success, you know, he talked to his mom and his kids, and he's, like, gonna get him a bunch of shit, you know, and now it's, like, there's no, but there's no money now. So, he goes home expecting to just, like, be offered at least like the cold comfort of his like bitch wife like at least you his, know his like, wife who we should note like is completely and this plays into like the first itsy bitsy type part of the show like his wife is completely sexually dissatisfied like she is like yeah well, she's just not having it she, he's she at least you pay the bills. Attitude. Well, it seems to be it seems to be a uh, two part problem because yeah, like they're all, he also seems to be experiencing some type of sexual dysfunction. He can't express himself um, fully in bed. It seems because he doesn't finish either. Like it's one thing if you're if one of you is finishing at least, you yeah. know. But like it's another thing if nobody's fucking finishing. Like yeah, that's that, that, that's, that's like just, it's fucked that's all just the way up and down. Yeah, that's uh, nobody's having a good time. Everybody's embarrassed. Um, anyway, so uh, he comes home, and she is just getting railed out, just real, yeah. getting that good pipe laid. You know, she's getting it from the back. They're rolling around on the rice mats. You know, it's it's a whole thing. It's and um, he, like he like can kind of tell what's going on already as he climbs the stairs, but he kind of like climbs the stairs and like sneaks a peek and it's, he, Oh, it's he no does what I'm sure any of us would do in that well, situation. You got, at that he, like, point, you got like, to see it for yourself at that like, point. I got to commit. Uh, <laughs> I got to commit to this bullshit. I it can't, I can't have it be explained away. I got to eyewitness this. Oof. 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 Yeah. You hate to see it, folks. <laughs> yeah, you really you hate do. To, you really hate to see it. Um, really and then do. he's in such shock when he finally does see it that he, like, totally just, like, falls dick first downstairs. You know? <laughs> yeah, and I just, think, like, like hits backwards. Every stair on the way. Yeah, like, no, he falls, like, face down towards the stairs. Like, home alone, wet bandit style. Yeah. Like, hitting every stair on the way down. Um, and that alerts his wife and uh, and her lover while they're in flagrante delicto. 
look at me using my college degree. Um, <laughs> Good for something, I guess. Yeah, right? Yeah, something. Uh, that and debt. Anyway, um, so uh, basically, you know, that kind of has uh, him uh, confront his wife. Things are over between them. He's He's done with her. She's done with him, you know. And that's, you know, she basically says, like, well, you never made me come. And, like, fair. Because apparently he didn't. Yeah. Um, so, like, things seem pretty over there. Um, he heads over to a bar and runs into uh, the guy who is going to be his, bring like, part- him his new career. And, and, like, be his partner in crime until, like, basically the last... I want to say the last two episodes of the series, they like deal with him, but we'll get well, to that when can, we do. You can see it like in the first, in the first interaction after they become partners, you can kind of see that it's, yeah, some you point, can, there's going to be see a that he's driven, like, and it's going to be like a, a blood is thicker than water. They're going to be like brothers up until the betrayal, but there's going to be a wedge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, I don't. I don't want to get into it because I don't want to spoil it for myself. No, I know totally. Like, go more than what we're trying to milk. We're trying to milk this for a whole other episode. So. Yeah. <laughs> um. So anyway, uh, basically, uh, this guy is uh, what's what's the word for like an entry level gangster? It's like something about a uh, like isn't it like chimp based? It's like I, th- I, I think you pronounce it chinipada. Yeah, something like that. Ch- Chimparu. Chim- he, he, chim- he's like. But he's, he's a, he's a low-level, no-good doer. He, he, he's basically a delinquent because, and you find this out later in the show. He's not in the. He's not in the like. He he's not at Yakuza Gokudo like brotherhood level. He's no, at he, like and like you see, he hangs out with like motorcycle gangs and like other fringe criminal elements. Yeah, that are, but, like, like basically know, what he does is, is make is like listen to brothel girls while they're doing it yeah yeah so they yeah he takes him to this weird voyeur club which is based out of a hotel and this is something that i wanted to touch on real quick this weird like um video recording setup where you can like watch so um are you aware of the giant i think it's the giant eagle motel case here in america no Okay, so uh, I'm going to look this up real quick. I should have... I, I meant to Google this ahead of time. Um, so Gary Talese, um, this journalist who wrote for the for New York Magazine for a long time, wrote this thing called um, The Voyeur's Motel. And basically it's about... He got this anonymous letter from a man in Colorado who was like um, trying to tell Talese like, this fantastical secret um, about, uh, having set up a motel somewhere in Colorado with like cameras in like the air vents and shit, like, so that he could observe couples having sex discreetly. And like, he could also, there was like crawl spaces for him to be like up in like different areas. Yeah. Very, just very creepy. Um, there's, there's some problem with the story, like, uh, facts about it are, are in question, but I just wanted to um, mention it in passing because that whole thing just made me think about it because it was treated as like a very routine thing in Japan, but this like in America, this is like a crazy story yeah, that yeah, like, like a guy wrote a whole book about. I read something like some deeply astronomical number of Japanese women have like 
been in amateur porn in some way. Like, it's not... Because, like, you're already blurring out the genitals, and you can say, like, I don't want my face on camera, so they'll either cut, like, cut it so you're not on camera, or they'll blur your face. It can be a quick payday. And, like, with, with a culture that is so... So it's it's interesting, right? Because they're much more sexually permissive in a way because Christianity isn't a dominant force in most of Japanese culture. Yeah, well, what, so what's interesting is like it, back in the days of the samurai, samurais were actually some of the most like permissive, like they, like them and their understudies used to bang. They were huge homosexual uh, culture that I understand was like tacitly approved of, and you know, yeah, no, totally. So I mean, it's the 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 structure is has always been there for it to exist. So when like someone exists, the only when it exists somehow in a new way, the only surprise usually is wait, no one's making money off this. What? Yeah. But, so, basically... So, what was that character's name, his, like, partner in crime? So, his partner in crime, um... Let me see. Yeah, is, uh... So, it's Chimpira, by the way, is the apprentice gangster term yeah, yeah. that we're looking Ch- for. Chinipira, um, yeah. Played by Shinosuke Mitsushima. Okay. And the guy's name was... What do they call him? Ah, let me get up up with the IMDb real quick. I, I forget the guy's name. I want to say it started with like a, like another M name, but let's just find out. Well, anyway, so while, while you're doing that, that, I'll kind of move forward here. So basically, what they decide to do, what um, Morinishi decides to do, is he says, "Hey, they, they I forget how they come around to it, but basically." They Toshi. figure out that these magazines are selling really well, like these porn magazines. bot. Well, that's what Toshi is selling initially. Yeah. He, he's but selling I think... these these porn. He's selling porno mags, but he's so selling think, them like from what one I can tell. Um, Binibon is basically uh, it's the term for the bag actually that they were sold in. Oh yeah, because you 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 so. Unlike in America, where if you bought a porno magazine, you would you just wouldn't want it seen. In Japan, it can't be seen. Yeah, like at you least, can't at, see at the least cover. At that time, I'm not sure about like modern law, but like like it couldn't be seen leaving the. Um, I'm sure they've come up with some transparent plastic cover that you can like see the title and nothing else, or like some shit like that. I don't know. Well, there's all kinds of weird ass laws surrounding. Sex and sex acts and pornography in um, in Japan. The best variant of it that I think I could like offer for like an American audience is, and if you've never been on Eighth Avenue, which is a trash avenue in New York, you won't know this, but they offer just straight up phone booths is what you can whack it in. Like, all up and down 8th Avenue. Yeah. They've been there forever. They're, weirdly enough, those shops are closing one at a time now, which I find bizarre, because 
They've been so open for so long that I'm like, why have they stopped making money now? What? <laughs> are all the yeah, perverts dying? Are, you would have assumed that the, with the proliferation of high-speed internet, that would have just been the death of them in like one fell swoop. But uh, Yeah, but I guess... they like exist. They currently exist. You, know, like, you can go in and you can like give somebody a dollar and you can give a machine a dollar and it will show you porn. I guess, you know, people just get used to what is available and if there's no... Because, um, like, another big reason why that disappeared in New York was because of Mayor Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani's, um, you know, broken windows policy. Um, yeah, which totally. Which, specifically in the Times Square district where a lot of that activity was centered around, he specifically went after those businesses for every last infraction that he could. So, like, if they were trying to sell, you know weed pipes or bongs openly and they didn't have like a for tobacco use only sticker somewhere he was gonna fucking find them and you know like all that type of bullshit yeah so if there's no um political force engaging in that type of behavior then i guess those stores just operate yeah with the people that like like, to jerk off in public so like (laughs) (laughs) that is a way you can technically jerk off outside of the sanctity of your own home without permission, express permission from another human, which should be illegal, but, like, that's a workaround, basically. Personally, personally, I get it, because you're on the go, you're a busy salaryman, What if you're a businessman, man? You've got to get to your 10 o'clock meeting, the 9.30 train is halfway between your house and the porn store... (laughs) You can either waste those 15 minutes at home or you could get breakfast on the way, stop at the porn store, crank one out real quick, have your snack when you're done and hungry, make it to your train, make it to the meeting. This is how deals get done. And show up like nice and clear headed. (laughs) Yeah. And then you're making good decisions. Bang, bang, boom, bang. (laughs) But so like there's laws like that in, um, in, in Japan, I'm not sure how many of them there are left, but when I when I when I read that book, Tokyo Vice, it, one of the detectives gave Jake this like tour of Kabukicho and said like, well, you know, it's technically legal. It's technically an act of prostitution for somebody to give you a blowjob for money, but. If it happens to happen, if it happens to occur while taking a bubble bath, there's nothing we can do about that. You can't arrest anybody. It's fine, and it's like so esoteric and weird, and that's kind of the way. But it it allows the like crime to happen still, and allows society to keep running, and that's yeah. kind of the way the bin bon magazines are. So. Basically. So they basically figure out at this point in the Binny Bond market that they're better off producing their own edgier content that is pushing at the boundaries of censorship at the time in the magazine industry. Yeah. So it starts off with them, you know, establishing themselves in print at first. Um, and he's like kind of climbing the ladder of success um, with the help of their like kind of art director guy. Um now, um, why, why, yeah, the, like, deeply, like, devoted Megumi. art director guy, who is, and this is so hilarious, um, what's his name, um, the guy, ba- 
So, uh, Osamu Tezuka is, like, the model for that dude. Like, the round glasses, the hats he wears, the way he kind of holds himself. If you've seen old footage of Tezuka, they, he, like, has at least a little inspiration from the way that Tezuka looked and held himself. Yeah. Um, at this He's point, like, I they made him up, into an archetype, whoever yeah. this guy is based off of. Yeah, um... At this point, I want to bring up the um, female character, the female perspective character. Uh, yeah, so name. let me, her name, I have the IMDb open now. So that's, um, the actress's name is Misato Morita. Okay. And it's, uh, oh wait, no, that's Megumi is the uh, female character. Sorry, the, uh, the dude who is like bug-eyed is, uh, that actor's name is Tetsuji Tamayama. Okay, cool yeah. name. Cool name, dude. Um, he is a big anime voice guy. Don't, which would make sense because... Like Kawada. Kawada is the director's name. Okay. Kawada is the art director's name, yep. let's call Kawada. him. Not, um, not the naked director. He's not the focus. This is the bespectacled, besuited uh, nerd Megumi. who is... Super this, into S and M. This um, Megumi is this like she's this very repressed schoolgirl. So she's grown like up a, in a religious household, in a specifically Christian religious like household. A very specifically Christian religious household. Yeah, her mom's like listening to like German, um, like German hymnal music at one point. Yeah. Which is like very weird, very weird touch. Um, but her mom is also like very prude, very prudish, and like just wants her daughter to display basically zero sexuality, and just like that's not where her daughter is at. At well, I- I'll save that for later. But they they kind of get into a little bit of why, um, which I think we should just get. We'll get into the character a little bit more deeply. So it's basically revealed that Me- Megumi is budding as a young horn dog. In spite of this, um, there's yeah. a scene where she comes across some schoolmates who have found some porn in the woods. And actually, I wanted to touch on this moment real quick. No, no, no before you get to that, what what act what what happened was. Is I think that the porn they find in the woods is more is one of Morinishi's magazines, and from, yeah, yeah, yeah. from that point, there's no meeting of the two characters, and it's just like feels like this. It's like a moment of fate. It's like a the, moment of fate where like yeah, the two like, paths yeah. indirectly in, intersect. Two, two ships pass in the night. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, it's one of his magazines, and. Um, and she's uh, super uh, turned on by super the whole thing. Super determined to yeah, like get just, the yeah. She wants off. in on this world. She doesn't know how to get there, but she like kind of knows in the back of her mind right now that like this is an option in society, and this may be something that I want to pursue. Um, which is also like later on, it's revealed as she's growing up. You know, she's sketching you know European style impressionist nudes, very horny stuff. Yeah, like. Deeply horny. Women just really languishing their hands over, you know, the various erogenous zones. Yeah, like... Yeah. It has, like, secret sketchbooks stashed all over the house where she hopes her mom won't find them. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a real, it's a real cat and mouse game in that household. Like, um, <laughs> like uh, real low stakes, high horny, like fucking detective work happening in the house. So uh, now that uh, the guy, so we should move ahead a little bit, I think, because yeah. now the guy is kind of like um, getting more involved with video. He's starting his nascent video production at this point. Um, well, actually, before that happens, I want to touch on the detective. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, is th- I wanted to ask, so is this based on a, I had a very uh, Lupin feel from like the the character design of the detective maybe I, not like char- character wise but design wise it had a very like goofy i think if he just meant to be a detective but yeah. I, I had a question who's the actor who plays him let me see uh oh, too many back buttons okay. oh no oh no okay we're getting there folks technical difficulties so the director the, the actor who plays the detective. The detective who busts them oh, yeah, for the, the um for the like censorship being too light. Yeah, I believe that's Ikazawa. Yeah. So the direct the actor is Ryo Ishibashi. Okay, so that's not who I'm thinking it is. It just he just seemed there's a really well known actor who I think might be the mobster who they like get in bed with in like the second half named so there Takeshi. yeah this this guy uh is very like tied in to uh the underworld um so we'll also talk i think right now about um the competition a little bit yeah there is a guy who starts out as kind of their benefactor when they're making binnie bon, um magazines well, um well you know. from from what he said is basically like because they don't just sell their own, they sell others. And he invites them in because they place, like, enormous purchase orders, orders. for, yeah, for yeah. magazines. And he's like, you're selling an awful lot of my magazines. I bet yeah. you're making your own, too. Oh, so he draws the attention of Jaded Police Detective, played by Lily Frankie, I believe? Um... Does that sound at all familiar? Let me see. Lily Frankie, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. the guy with, like, the thin mustache and, like, the yeah. turtleneck. Yeah, yeah, he's a different one, but, yeah, I, I totally get you. Yeah, um, and then um, and then Ryo Ishibashi is the, um, the competitor. Yeah. Yeah, see, now I'm getting pictures. Now I'm seeing, now I'm seeing faces on the and, page. And um, he's... Good. So, basically what happens is, like, this guy says, like, hey... Why don't you let me buy you? It'll be really beneficial for you. I'll just buy you out, yeah. Yeah, like, I'll, I'll buy it. you out. I'll, I'll buy every book. Because at this point, they've opened, like, one book, one dirty bookstore, and then another one across the street, and another one, like, down the block. And they yeah. all do massive sales. So but Mur- like, Muranishi is feeling himself at this point. He's he's really feeling like he can make a go of this whole thing. He's not interested in folding quite yet. You know, he's not going to accept a buyout. Yeah, and and he see, takes one look at the money and like his like sketchy as fuck number two, like already like piling the money into his pants, kind of like yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm taking the money and running. Style. Like this is the best we're gonna do. Like this is yeah. Like. We done it. We done good, son. Let's go. It's yeah, how yeah. I'm rich. 
But no, no, he he has bigger plans than that. But um, in refusing to get the buyout, he's now made a, a powerful enemy. Um, basically gets set up to get arrested because he obviously has the cop in his pocket. No. What, um, Ishibashi has the cop in his what pocket. What happens ultimately is they decide, like, hey, you know, we could sell so many more magazines if we were just selling uncensored magazines. Yeah. And so they go to the art director and they're like, hey, we got to print these things uncensored. Even the art director who's they like were, into they it. They were like, getting away with bribing for a while. That yeah, was the They, that they was bribed the them with <laughs> the press. They have a like, separate set of boxes, the children books, with stacks of like hundreds Yeah, that was a nice touch. They have cut out books with stacks of cash in the middle of uh, children's books, and they go, no, 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 these are just kids' books. And the officer's like, oh, yeah, that's all I see here. you got to put your glasses on, man. This isn't obscene material. This is all kids' books. What, what I love is when, like, the dirty detective, the guy with, like, the turtleneck shows up, all the other cops are, like, so into just the regular payday of stopping this truck that they're like, no, 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 no. These are children's books. You see, and they, like, hand him one, and he, like, looks at the money. He's like, oh, yeah, but that box is porn. Takes the money, pockets it, gets yep. in, and drives off. It's not the casual corruption. It's the fact that I have orders to fill. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the basic story there. So he gets set up. Uh, Muranishi uh, gets sent away for a while. Um, you know, that's now, how that goes. So I So... When you're watching the next four episodes, I want you to keep in mind, like, this stint in jail, because he does another stint in an American prison. Yeah. The only thing I will say is the Japanese concept of American prison is hysterical. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be a treat to watch. They spend, like, a whole, like, couple episodes in, uh, in I think, Miami, <laughs> and it's oh very strange. Yeah, we'll have to check it out. Um, but yeah, so now he gets out, and then that's kind of the beginning of episode three, uh, right about there. Um, so uh, in episode three, he just takes off to the ground, uh, sets off for <clears throat> back for his old stomping grounds, and uh, a, a lower-level Yakuza, um, who is later also revealed to be in the pocket of his rival. Yeah. Um, gives gives him a space, gives him like a weird garage loft. Setup. Gives him basically an old service garage, and actually, so I'm not sure who. So who play? So when he first gets busted for starting to sell porn, for starting to sell porn mag magazines, who's the cop that busts him? So the cop that busts him—that's the Lily Frankie guy. Uh, um, I'm gonna open the, um, I'm gonna see if I can't catch this up on IMDb, because I, I don't think I'm giving the right, um, direction. So that's the guy with the turtleneck and the thin mustache. Yeah, not the guy with the turtleneck and the thin mustache, the, like, low-level beat cop who busts him the very first time. And they give him a yeah, bunch I'm of magazines sure. and send him yeah. off. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, let me see if I can't find him, because I think, <clears throat> I want to say... That, and this isn't entirely uncommon, that that cop quits the force and becomes a Yakuza. And that's the one who uh, lends yeah. him to space. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Either way, he's still in the pocket of the of the competitor. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they're basically uh, back in business. They start making movies, uh, but at this point, they're still, you know, taping genitals. Everything's pretty much above board for the time. Oh, and the important, the one super important thing he, here is is they introduce this entire side cast of characters. Yeah, like his production so staff. Is, yeah, his production staff. So we've got some great, uh, classic, classic Japanese uh, pet name style nicknames here. We've yeah. got uh, Rugby, um, Junko. Those are those are basically the two main ones. Then we've yeah. got uh, and, then, and then the makeup lady, which I think is Miku Miniami. Yeah, yeah, and she's really important because she's like the only female voice in this porn studio. Yeah, so she is. They rely on her a lot. Um, she also gets involved in some level of coercion, um, but she's really much more of a soft touch about it. Yeah. Um, um, yeah whereas Muranishi is really the one that kind of, like, puts the uh, puts the pressure on. Yeah. So, um... <clears throat> so let's also, actually, real quick, I want to take a break, because now we kind of have, like, a moment where uh, the side story about the competitor... So he's up to some stuff outside of this uh, world at this moment, um, getting involved in the VHS Betamax Wars. Yeah, that and, and that's... So, I, I wish I could know how true this was, because there's an old adage <clears throat> in technology that, like, so goes porn, so goes the industry. When porn took the VHS route, that's when... VHS one when it took the DVD route. That's when DVD one. One of the reasons so, yeah, why yeah. Um, Blu-ray has been so shaky all the time is because porn is already high def on the internet, so it doesn't necessarily need to care about Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, I um I would argue that more so than any other technology, VHS Betamax was in fact decided by porn. Okay, so it, it like, makes sense that he just, like, yes. walks out with a porno tape and is like, sell this with every VC, v, v, VCR. Yes. Done. So, um, there, there's a couple of different things um, to keep in mind about this. So, VHS versus Betamax, we're, we're really flexing my college degree today uh, for background <laughs> information. Clarification, my, my background in this is I have a BFA in film production. Um, so I took four years of liberal arts college learning all about how to make movies, what movies have been made on, the history of film, etc., etc. Anyway, um, so Sony produced Betamax and um, JVC produced VHS. And this is uh, basically what be, it resulted in what was called a format war. Uh, Betamax was technically more sophisticated in its recording quality, although a lot of people did not notice um, a visual difference between Betamax and VHS. Okay. That's now that's average consumer. Um, from what I heard from like editors and very technical people, there was some amount of compression difference. Betamax to VHS. Betamax apparently had more of a filmic like flow to the way that its digital information was being transmitted, whereas VHS was apparently a little bit more digital, a little bit more blocky. Um, but then there are a couple of other factors that enter into this. Um, 
So in the UK, um, particularly, uh, VHS uh, was drastically cheaper due to uh, the fact that people used to rent their their VCRs with their VHSs and Betamax players are slightly larger. So it's easier to get a VCR home. It's Um, like a DVD versus LaserDisc scenario. Yeah. That and so in several markets, um, basically a couple of really popular pornographic films in different markets, specifically in America, I think the one um, that really kind of clinched it was one called Behind the Green Door, um, which okay. was based around a club um, in San Francisco in the late 70s that is kind of like a Studio 54 West Coast analog. But it was Ooh, okay. a place owned by like the Fairly a uh, couple of guys called the Fairly Brothers, I think. Okay. Um, and it like was a very popular movie with like basically like the big name um, stars uh, yeah. in porn of the day, um, kind of like a post uh, Deep Throat uh, porn blockbuster. So that had a huge theater run, but then it was only released on VHS here in America. Oh, okay. No Betamax, no Betamax tape. And um, some of that had to do, I think, with the fact that Sony was a little bit more reticent um, to uh, license their technology to adult um, adult uh, places, whereas Philips kind of had licensed out VHS production, I think, to a couple of different companies. Oh, so it Sony- could just go wherever. They could, yeah, they could get other people to produce VCR recorders for the VHS format and then um, just keep the tape technology in their hands, I think, was kind of like the long and short of it. Yeah. It also, um, part of it also uh, <clears throat> had to do with like adoption by big box retailers and stuff. Like, so there's a little bit of behind this, but I would say definitely porn was actually a deciding factor for the simple fact that um, Phillips had let their uh, players be produced by not just Philips, whereas Sony tried to keep Betamax all in-house. They were trying to vertically integrate, which is great for profits, but maybe very bad for a marketplace. How big is a Betamax tape? I've never... It's actually um, slightly squatter. Like, it's shorter but stouter than a VHS tape. Oh, so it's like, Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I probably have seen one, I just don't remember, because, like... As children of the of the deeply late eighties and ninety and definitely nineties, like a VHS tape is like very durable. There's only a few ways you could fuck it up. You just yeah. kind of pick it up and cram it in the thing. Uh, uh, even unlike CDs, you didn't even really need a box for them. If you like <laughs> really had to, you could like just stack them on the shelf. <clears throat> Um, so from from what I understand, um, the technology inherent in producing a Betamax and a VHS tape are roughly equivalent. They're both like okay. magnetic tape systems. Yep. Um, it's just a matter of obviously you know file format and yep. um, when you're when you're transcribing information onto a tape and stuff like that is the bigger Which the bigger deciding. That probably sense. Betamax has because you said the compression was more filmic. It probably has more. It has yeah. more bandwidth to accept, like, writing on the tape. Yeah, that would also represent in them having a shorter runtime, which was another deciding factor. Um, Betamax yeah. tapes always had a shorter, uh, like, 
recording time that you could get onto an individual tape. Okay. Whereas um, VCRs and V or VHS rather um, was always was longer from the start and was able to increase length. Like it's saying here, like two hours and four hour recording times initially, but then by like uh, the eighties you could get like three hours, 35 minutes. Then, you know, by the nineties you could get four hours and 20 minutes, you know? So obviously, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, um, you know, advances like that also didn't help Betamax. Um, yeah. So that's pretty much it. And then Laserdisc was also its own thing. But the, the thing with Laserdisc, so nobody really made porn for that as far as I'm aware. And then also um, it was just big and bulky and expensive. Yeah. But I, I mean, I remember um, from when I was first getting an anime, there was um, Laserdisc were are still like a big collector item for anime because they're these they're basically imagine a dvd that's the size of a full-on record yeah a vinyl record yeah <laughs> and they they have these like big square flat fucking insane players that my like, kids if you want to know the size of a laser disc whip out one of your old 45s <laughs> yeah and and i remember like you could. It, the reason why they were so big is because they could fit so much fucking data on them. It was insane, and so like you could sell all of a show like um, Neon Genesis Evangelion on one either like a bunch of DVDs or one laser disc or like a bunch of tapes or one laser yeah. disc. Yeah. And but you would be selling it for like three hundred dollars. For the disc. Yeah. And like that on top of import. I mean I remember seeing. um, I remember seeing trailers. For the Neon Genesis Evangelion laser disc. And being like. Someday when I'm 45 and a millionaire. I will buy that for myself. (laughs) Bold of you to assume you're going to live to 45. Exactly. I'm just just kidding. Um, (laughs) Um, But like. So, like, uh, later just never really enter into the conversation ever. Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't really in this show. Anyway, it was just a, a, something to throw in there. Um, so, basically, you know, he's so back at like, it. What, he's like, what, episode out of prison. three now? Yeah, we're, like, kind of middle of episode three. He's back okay. at it. He's making porn. But he's still frustrated by the limitations of, you know, this softcore um, porn that he's making where everybody's genitals are taped up and all of the sex is kind of simulated. He wants to really, you know, uh, express himself physically and show the physical expression on film. And also, so something that's just I want to um, just call out quickly is, unlike what many, what much of the porn industry still is, he's like writing whole scripts and making stories. Like, it, yeah, he so- makes really intricate, thoughtful stories that end with sex and like you're signing up for the whole narrative. Whereas his competitor is making what's more commonly distributed now and known as Gravier AV idol videos, which is like the model, like in a bikini running on the beach for a while. And then they're just getting railed on a bed for like, like 15 minutes or something. Yeah. So his big, um, soft core one, uh, I kind of loved this, uh, detail, his big soft core one that he really breaks through. Cause he makes one 
that doesn't go over so hot. You know, it's kind of on like the bottom shelf, you know, it's a big depressing moment, but then they kind of like amp it up with the next one. They really get into the story and it's called, um, the baseball tournament of shame, which I just thought was like a nice, (laughs) which is, it's like, it's very Japanese gore porn snuff film. Yeah, it is. It is very odd. Um, it's like uh, basically, you know, the guy wins the big tournament and he gets to rail out. I think it's like the snack, the stadium snack girl, basically, who is also a spy, maybe. Yeah. No, he like for, he like forces himself on the stadium on like the like bus hostess or whatever, and yeah, or like the stadium snack yeah. girl, it's like a bus and she shoots him like on climax. On the pitcher's mound. <laughs> you know, I just, like, I can't picture this happening uh, to an organization like the Hanshin Tigers. You know? Yeah. I just, I, I would hate to see the Hiroshima Toyo Carp engaged in this type of behavior. It's just really, <laughs> you know, they have such a good name. And this, is the, this, this is the second where Dan just has, like, fun with Japanese baseball team names for, like, an hour. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would hate to see the uh, illustrious organization that we all know and love, the Hokkaido Nippon Ham Fighters. Ham Fighters, Alex. <laughs> what are they? What are they, fighting sandwiches? <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway, sorry. Sorry. But you. no, it's cool. Um, um, yeah, no. Uh, so the, at the end of that, uh, there's like a real like snuff film twist there at the end. Where uh, the female character shoots the um, baseball champ. Yeah. Just kid fucking mercs him, honestly. And then they just like, it's just like oh, fade just to black. Railed me out, but get ready for this. Pa-pow! Like, ah, check this out! <laughs> but, anyway, um, no, no cliffhanger there. That's a definitive ending, folks. Yeah. That's, that's what I like to see in movies. None of this, like, to-be-continued bullshit. Fucking Marvel movie horseshit. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, that that is a, a gang that goes like gangbusters. Everybody's loving it, and that kind of gives him the uh, the balls to kind of like go after what he really wants to do, um, which is show real sex between two adult part consenting participants. Um, and this is kind of where the stakes get raised um, to their highest level. This is kind of the middle. We're getting into, like, the fourth episode now. This is, like, the middle of the series. Yeah. Um, but there is a little conflict with this um, with this one um, because the rival at this point sees that he uh, apparently um, Muranishi had poached one of his actresses. Yeah. And that was and also where their rivalry had kind of escalated. Uh, we're, we're backtracking a little bit. So the actress that shoots the guy... Um, is one of the actresses that is on contract or whatever with Rio in in Ibashi or or whoever okay, the uh, I, I I gotta ask is that fat dude railing those women like if I I assume is that is creepy? I don't think that that is in paper but I think it's assumed that you are his harem in addition because, to like, being, like you're his girls he's showing up at steak restaurants with like there's a real a gaggle of 12 women there's a big old epstein element to this like, guy super creepy as hell except i guess he's not an ephibophile allegedly i should say 
I mean, we all. I, I hope we're all on the same page. I mean, Epstein, no matter what he was doing, was well. Actually, I can I can say we do know what he was doing. He isn't allegedly. He wasn't a pubophile. Yeah, yeah I can say that. Um, I just you know, we, we like, out these. Just like so, Morini. So the, the way they kind of set it up, at least until what he like very slyly convinces that a- that actress to have real sex on camera. Is like Morinichi is like someone who's making porn for the sake of porn, and like he represents like the way the porn industry should function to a certain extent. But the yeah. other dude, who's like very crime connected and has like detectives on the payroll, and is clearly like forming a lobbying group and all this other bullshit, is like the porn industry the way that like. Southern Baptist ministers want you to believe it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's pretty grody. Um, but anyway, so uh, basically when this guy, uh, when the rival sees the movie, he basically is like, yeah, this this girl's dead. And he like announces that to his remaining harem. Um, and that is uh, basically after the real sex gets filmed, um, he, release, he releases her real name to the general public. That's what we were kind of talking about at the yeah. top of the episode. We've now kind of come... Full circle to that. Full circle. And her life is, like, ruined. Yeah, uh, she uh, she starts crying um, very heavily, and that's kind of the end of episode four. That's where I kind of left off. That's the last uh, scene, I think, of that episode. Um, And, uh, oh, wait, no, it goes for a little bit longer than that. So now they're, uh, she's out of the picture now. Yeah. Um, They're out and actress. They can't, you know, they're on, they're kind of on the run a little bit because the heat is kind of coming down on them for having shot real sex and stuff. They're running out of money and that's kind of where it ends. Yeah, totally. But the very last thing was the, uh, the horny girl. Yeah. Puts together the guy's business card that she had found at one point torn up. And like, I have a plan. And then like, fades. Now, so what do you think of this so far? I gotta be honest with you, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I I like it a lot. I think it's a great drama. It has some very funny moments, though. It's very um. I like that it's very humanizing to all the characters. Like they don't completely let Muranami off the hook. Like as we said, his behavior in the show yucked us out. They didn't just gloss over that, you know. Yeah. Um. I think it's a very realistic. Um. If not a true-to-life, like a one-to-one, it is at least, I think, it's getting the tone of a lot of this kind of um, free speech activism and, you know, need for sexual expression, need for uh, legalization of the sex industry, which I want to just say, I don't know about your podcast, but I want to go on record. Uh, Dan Cohan, very sex-positive individual, I am pro-sex workers of all shades and stripes. Um, I think whatever consenting adults want to do with their bodies, uh, legal prohibition only puts people at risk um, and and unnecessarily uh, punishes people for uh, selling their bodies, which to me is not very different from any construction worker who uh, mortgages their back and their knees uh, to make a living. I I, I will say something they start to get into something they like slightly get into in the show that I agree with is that the addition of like 
porn names or whatever. I understand why basically every porn actress has a porn name because like having your real name associated with you in any way fucking on camera if that's the primary selling point of the video like makes some stuff really complicated. Like well, so for, I, for, I also want to point out that another reason for porn names is just so that um stalkers don't just come and exactly. try to fucking so, like, find you. So, so like, there's e- that too. Even so like um a very well-known Asian porn actress, um, Asa Akira, that is yep. definitely not her real name. But the no. reason she had that is because, like, at, she just she just had a kid. Like, at some point, if she wants to buy a bigger house, and, like, I've looked at what it takes to rent an apartment in New York City. I can't imagine what it takes to buy a house in California. And, like, if you type in, like, whatever her real name is, and it comes up, like, that, like, she'd been done dirty, like, yesterday, that's a real questionable thing, when really, like, she had turned her life into a business the way any freelancer would. Yeah. And in this show, the, like, obscurity of the genitalia <clears throat> factors into making it hard to produce everything because that's another layer of obscurity that they have to do. Yeah. Um, but I just, I, I think that there's too much, I think there's too much attention paid to what other people are doing with their time in a consenting manner. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, both in, um, America and Japan, uh, what you see that you can draw a parallel between is uh, there's an idea that uh, if somehow you can uh, legislate people's behavior through prohibition, and I think whether we're talking about uh, porn or um, you know prostitution or drug use or alcohol use, uh, we see time and time again, that legislating behavior through prohibition uh, rarely results in good outcomes for anybody except for people that are trying to make as much money as possible off of these things. Um, Because it is rarely, you know, uh, the people who uh, want to express themselves with their bodies um, on a personal level, like either through commerce or through exhibition, um, are usually the ones who get the brunt of the punishment. It's rarely, you know, uh, you know, the pimps, the traffickers, uh, the pornographers, i.e. the producers, um, who end up in hot water over this shit. And it's only until they really do like something flagrantly illegal that there's ever really any repercussions for them, um, which I think is, is, is fucked up and it's not the way it should be. Now, all of that said, where can people find you, all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you like what I've had to say and you like my ideas, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, DanTheManCohan. That's the ad handle for that. Um, Truck Stop Herpetologist is the nickname. That's how you pronounce that? Okay. Always wondered. Yeah. So the joke behind that, actually, just to touch on it, it's a joke about hookers. So um, Lot Lizards is what uh, the American nickname for prostitutes that work truck stops is. So um, truck stop herpetologist, a herpetologist is a scientist who focuses on reptiles. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. 
That's the, that's the joke there. Okay. <laughs> I like never put I never put any of that together. I am a weirdo, um, and my Twitter is also very weird. I'm a good follow. Yeah, I say a lot of weird shit on there that is hard to explain, but it's very funny. So follow me on there. Um, if you are Facebook friends with Alex, I'm Facebook friends with him. You can reach out for a personal follow. Just don't be too weird. Don't be weird about it. You know. Yeah. And also, oh, also, I should give a shout out. Um, if anybody is ever in uh, the lower Hudson Valley and looking for an excellent trivia night, I run one at the local tap house in Nyack, New York. So check that out. Four South Franklin Street, Wednesdays at eight. Nice. Yeah. Um, and as not always in case of this episode, but as always in case of the podcast, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. If you like this show, you can go subscribe to it in the podcast emporium of your choice. Um, I would love it if you gave the show a five-star rating. That really helps the show. That really helps us like get in whatever ratings category it is. I'm never sure, but I know it helps. So... Oh, also, do leave written reviews because I'm I'm told that written reviews, if you actually include like a little like summary of what you liked. Um, that actually helps even more. Yeah, um, also, I will say, if you've listened to the show for a while, you've heard me refer to, like, the one written review that has been left on this podcast. If you would like to be the other written review that is, like, shouted out on this podcast, you can do that in iTunes. And I will almost certainly be like, hey, another person left a review, blah, 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 Woo! blah, blah. Um, but fan engagement, that is the promise. <laughs> yes, that is the promise that we here at Cohan Corps endorse. Absolutely. Um, and on that note, I will talk at you next time. Woo.